This episode is brought to you by Progressive Insurance. Whether you love true crime or comedy, celebrity interviews or news, you call the shots on what's in your podcast queue. And guess what? Now you can call them on your auto insurance too with the Name Your Price tool from Progressive. It works just the way it sounds. You tell Progressive how much you want to pay for car insurance, and they'll show you coverage options that fit your budget. Get your quote today at Progressive.com to join the over 28 million drivers who trust Progressive. Progressive Casualty Insurance Company and Affiliates. Price and coverage match limited by state law. Hello, everybody, and welcome to another edition of the MLB Pipeline Podcast. I'm Jason Ratliff here with Jim Callis and Jonathan Mayo, and we have a lot to talk about. We had something of a surprise promotion to the big leagues in Zach Neto, who has been kind of a surprising guy since he came into our orbit uh, when he was a draft prospect. And we want to talk about his ascension into the big leagues, some other guys who have been quick to the big leagues, what what this means when a guy reaches the big leagues as quickly as Neto does, which doesn't happen that often. Also want to take a look at some guys who are off to hot starts in the minor leagues. Our first prospect team of the week is out. The top 150 draft prospects list is coming your way. Right now, that list is at 100. We will expand it to 150 next week. Give you a little bit of a sneak preview there. And want to also talk about some of the newest members of the top 100 prospects list. Not the draft list, but the top 100 prospects in all of baseball. There are five new members of that list since we talked to you last week. A lot of turnover there, and there's going to be a lot more. And uh, then we're going to answer a question or two from the mailbag. Jim, Jonathan, hello. We missed you. I know. I was, uh, I missed you guys too because I was, uh, I was stuck in Orlando. I did the eight year old daughter trip to Disney, which I think is sort of required. So I know last week when I was not with you, and we'll get to this in a little bit, but you guys talked about several new members of the top 100 prospects list. And and actually you said that while you were talking about it, two new members were added to the list literally during the recording of the podcast. So you didn't cover them. We'll cover them this week. And then there are three more, so five altogether. And then we were just talking and that list is going to be sort of dismantled here in the first, <laughs> in the next yeah, month, um, just because of the number of top prospects who started the season in the big leagues. All right, we'll we'll get to that. Uh, first, let's talk about Zach Neto. I I declared that this was a surprise. I know Jonathan, you talked to Mister Neto in spring training, and maybe this wasn't quite as much of a surprise to you or him. <laughs> you know, I, I think it's a surprise how quickly it it happened. Uh, you know, if you were to ask me like a handful of guys who could get called up, say, from last year's draft class, he, he probably would have been on that list. You know, the fact that he made it to double-A last summer and performed well there, he spent a lot of time in big league camp. Uh, it, you know, one of these guys who got to take advantage of players leaving for the World Baseball Classic. So he, he got some more at-bats. They got to see how he could carry himself. He had uh, just the right amount of confidence i thought uh so i i thought it could happen I, I would not have guessed april um i thought maybe more of a second half kind of kind of deal uh so in in that regard 
it's it's surprising. But, you know, Jim, I know he was from your neck of the woods, you know, for our draft coverage. But overall, he was considered one of the better pure hitters in, in the draft class, uh, e- even if his setup with the big leg kick is a, is a little unorthodox. Yeah, no, he, he was interesting because he was even he was in play in the top 10 also. Like there was a lot of talk he might go to the Twins, yep. who I think we're picking eighth. If I remember last year's, I'm Correct. already focused on 2023 now, but, but there was some talk at the twins and, and he was kind of, you know, all the area scouts, you know, love the makeup hard to perform, you know, first, first round pick ever out of Campbell, which has had a couple supplemental first rounders. It's a program on the rise. I, I was saying before we came on the air here, I, I met him at the combine and then he was, it's like the winter meetings where there's one guy at every winter meetings that every time you turn around, you run into. And at the combine last year, it was Zach Neto. Like I'm walking to the park and Zach Neto's walking back on the sidewalk. And I must have bumped into Zach about five times, but when I was talking to him, you know, he was not heavily recruited out of South Florida, went to Campbell, hit 403 for his career there and proved it by, you know, going to play with wood bats and better competition, the Cape Cod league. He hit there He's, you know, hit 320 something in the minors, uh, you know, went to double A. I think he spent, what, Jonathan, a week in high A last year? The, the Angels were as aggressive with anybody with their 21 draft or 22 draft picks last year where they assigned them. And seven games. Yeah. Huh. You know, and Boone, he's in double A. He performed in double A. And, uh, you know, often not a good start this year. David Fletcher wasn't hitting. And they decided not to not to mess around. Um, and you know, you, you talked to him in spring training, Jonathan. You, pr- I think, had the same impression I did. You know, he's—I wouldn't call him cocky by any means, but he believes in himself. Like, and, and here's a guy who a lot of people didn't believe on in early in his career, but he believes in himself. And, and he, he uses that as a chip, for, yeah, on his shoulder for sure. And, and he should believe in himself because the guy performs everywhere. And you know, yeah, I mean, it's a big leg kick, but he puts the bat on the ball, you know, consistently. You know, I think. Long term, the two questions, and it's not like I, I think he's definitely going to hit. Like if he doesn't hit, I'll be surprised. I think at the long term, is it is he a set shortstop? Is he a second baseman? And is he a fifteen to twenty homer guy? Could it be a little bit more? But he's going to hit, and and I I I think you know I don't think this is a type of guy who's going to be daunted at all. That hey, you've only played forty four games in the minor leagues, and now you're in the big leagues. I think yeah. his mindset is. I'm ready. Like I can hit. Um, so I don't think he's going to be daunted by that at all. Uh, no, I agree with that. I mean, they had him in the leadoff spot, you know, so they're, they're not afraid to do that. A couple of things stood out to me. And we do, we, when we have our, our top 100 guys get called up to the big leagues, we often will write sort of a, like a, what to expect. So I circled back, uh, you know, to some, some folks in the scouting department and a couple of things stood out to me. They did not think he was going to be there when they picked um, so th- that was, you know, so even if it was a little bit of a, a surprise, you know, to your point, Jim, that he was in play in the top 10, I th- think the angels felt he wasn't going to be there, but he was a guy who, uh, they had sort of rare consensus from the scouting group and the analytics and data group. Uh, you know, that, that doesn't always happen. Uh, so that, you know, that was one reason why they took him. And the you know one of the other things they thought is that he you know that little edge that we talked about you know you could talk to scouts all the time Jim and I'm sure you've had this conversation many times over the years you want a little cocky like those are the guys that often 
you know, succeed or even surpass expectations. So, you know who he's kind of similar to, Jonathan? I'm not saying he's going to be this good, but he's like a, a slightly, you know, lesser version of Alex Bregman. Like, like Bre- Bregman had bigger performance at a bigger school, bigger personality. But Neto's kind of like in that mold to me. Yeah. Yeah. You know, you know what? I don't think that's a terrible. Even from a personality comp, you know, that, that's a, what I meant. That, yeah. yeah, that that. Confidence I'm not going 40 and, homers like like, right. like like Bregman hit, but like like it's the same. It's a smaller shortstop who could really hit and kind of uses. Hey, you don't believe in me? Well, f you. I'm pretty damn yeah. good. No, there there definitely is that, and they think that edge is going to be like a huge value add to the big league clubhouse. Um, you know, he's going to come ready to play every day. I think he's going to be fine at shortstop, at least for, for the right now. And then they can sort of figure that out uh, later on. But yeah, I, I agree with that kind of assessment, Jim, that you said. It was like, well, we're not going to mess around. You know, there's clearly pressure for the Angels to try to compete right now. Uh, you know, so much has been said and written about how you have the two best players on the planet and not and virtually nothing to show for it in terms of fielding a competitive big league team. So they decided not to, not to mess around and called up the guy they felt, you know, was going to help them the most at shortstop right now. Second year in a row that the angels have the first player from the draft class uh, in the big leagues. And Jim, you did uh, quite a bit of research on this uh, for the uh, pipeline newsletter uh, that's coming out this week. This is as quick as a position player has made it to the big leagues in terms of games played. In- <laughs> I, I, I chuckled because we were like, okay, how do we measure this? Is it games? Is it time? Is you know? Do you measure from the draft? Do you measure from the time he was signed? signed. Yeah, there are all, all different ways to to measure it. But but regardless, this was a this was a quick path. Yeah, no matter it, how you measure it. And it's funny because it's the quickest I think in any of those measures like I, we know this cause we talked about yesterday. If we, if we asked our listeners, okay, who's, who's the last guy to get there quicker? I, I don't know how many people will come up with Connor Glaspie from, uh, the 2008 <laughs> draft, uh, who played 21 games in the minors or 24 games in the minors. And it was only a few weeks after he signed cause he signed late, but that one's kind of cheating in a way. Cause it was part of his agreement to sign with the giants. They would call him up in September and he went one for five. Um, yeah, I think I think some people do remember that because of that particular th- th- those particular set of circumstances. Yeah, and you know, and he did get back to the big leagues a little bit with the White Sox, but he you know he didn't have a a real long extended career. And then I think the quickest in terms of time from when, like, if you don't count Gillespie, I think the quickest in terms of time was Ryan Zimmerman, and the quickest in terms of games was Ricky Weeks, um, like in the early two thousands. But yeah, it was. It was super quick. You know, 44 games is pretty pretty impressive. I, I, I'll ask you guys quick quiz real quick because it was in my newsletter, which I don't think has been published yet as we record this. Who was the last position player? Garrett Crochet was the last pitcher to make his pro debut in the big leagues. Who was the last position player to make his pro debut in the big leagues? Do you know? Ooh. Oh, man. How far back, how far back do you have to go? Is it, are we talking like... I think it predates oh, is it, Jonathan's uh, employment at MLB.com. Well, that's still going back away. Is it Xavier Nady? Very good. Yes. Wow, Jason Ratliff for the win. It is Xavier Nady. And to be honest, like that was part of 
his deal too. Like he signed a big league contract, so then they had him to the forty man roster. But that was part of his deal as well and in two thousand. But it was Xavier Nady. Before that, do you have to go all the way back to like was it was it Bob Horner who? No, no, no. It, Horner Horner did, and Horner won the Rookie of the Year, which is pretty amazing. Before that, it was John Olerud in nineteen eighty nine, and before that, it was Pete Cavilia after ah, holding Incavilia, out for you. That's what I was trying to think of. That's yeah. kind of crazy about Olerud, considering he was a two way guy. Well, it, it it was a couple things, and I could talk for an hour, and I won't. But <laughs> John Olerud, you sure had a brain aneurysm his draft year. He 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 and Ben McDonald would have been the top two guys in the draft, and so Olerud, the helmet. Yeah, exactly. Olerud barely played. He lost weight, um, and told everybody, I, I'm not going to sign. I'm going to re-enter the draft the next year. I just don't want to sign. And the Blue Jays, who were great at signing impossible to sign guys in the Pat Gillick years, took him and slow played it and didn't put pressure on him and signed him to a record. I, I can't remember if McDonald had the largest bonus at that point and Olerud had the largest guaranteed contract or vice versa. But they signed Olerud late in the summer and he came up and not only did he come up, he had a key at bat. They were they went down to the last week in the season fighting the Orioles for the for the division title in the AL East. And Olerud came up in extra innings with the game on the line. They let him hit in extra innings with the game on the line because they liked his bat that much. And then the, hmm. the quick Pete and Cavillia story was the Expos drafted him, I believe it was 85, like seventh overall. And he did not want to play in Canada at all. And so he refused to sign with them. Unless, and he, demanded, he said the only way he'd sign would be if they traded him immediately. And they kind of stared at each other for a while. And then in, in November, he signed with the Expos and was immediately traded to the Rangers for Jim Anderson and Bob Sebra, and then made the, made the Rangers out of spring training the following year. Which so. resulted in a new rule. Which right? they then changed back. Yeah, like, like yep. they changed it so you couldn't be traded for a year. Although my favorite part of that is they forgot the rule <laughs> <laughs> and let Tim Costo, I think, get traded for Reggie Jefferson – even though he, he should have been the eligible, rule. they they forgot to enforce they 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 forgot to enforce the rule. Yeah, um, yeah. So yeah, and that rule's gone back and forth. And then it was decided when Trey Turner got traded as a player to be named, but it was going to have to wait. I think what was it like six or seven months? He had to sit around. Yeah, he like he played sparingly in the Padres organization before becoming a National. They then have since changed the rule again. But yes, Peening Cavilia, what, what, what did lead to the Peening Cavilia rule? I, I could talk about draft history all day, but let, we should move on. Yeah, well, let, let, Jim, I did want want you to go through oh my chart. Yeah, I wanted you to go through the list of the the first hitter uh, that's made the big leagues uh, from each of the past what ten ten drafts, I guess. Yeah, uh, this is you know when you wonder like, well, what what's you know what does it mean that Neto becomes the first player from the draft class to make it to the big leagues? I mean, this is. This is a pretty solid list of, of hitters here. Yeah, and I, and I went back and looked at the first hitters because if you go just first anyone, a lot of times you get relief pitchers. Like if you go back to 2012 and 13, you get Paco Rodriguez and Kyle Crockett. And I don't think anybody felt like, hey, these guys are going to be long-term all-stars. They just were you know, relievers who could get there quickly. Lefty yeah, relievers. Yeah, that. exactly. Um, you know, and, and Brandon Finnegan was the year after that. Although Finnegan was a first-round pick. But So if you look at the hitters and you go back to 2012 – in order from 2012 through 2020, because nobody, no bat from the 2021 draft has made to the big leagues yet. But from 12, 2012 through 20, it's Mike Zanino, Chris Bryant, Kyle Schwarber, the aforementioned Alex Bregman, Austin Hayes, who will be the only non-first rounder in this group, 
Keston Hira, Nika Horner, Andrew Vaughn, Spencer Torkelson. And, 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 you know, when I was doing the research for the, for the pipeline newsletter, like the first four guys on that list, Zanino, Bryant, Schwarber, Bregman, nine all-star appearances, four world series titles, seven pennants. Austin Hayes is a solid regular. I don't know what to make of Keston Hira, guys. I thought he was going to be a lot better than this, although he's yeah. raking a triple A for whatever that's worth. Nico Horner, like, is a really good player. Andrew Vaughn, I think, is going to break out this year. He's off to a good start. Torkelson hasn't hit yet, but guys thought he was the best offensive prospect to come out of college baseball in the last two decades. So if you look at that list, that list bodes very, very well for Zach Neto, I think. I think we, one of the things that really stands out about uh, about it is you know, when people think, oh, well, does it really matter where you get drafted? Seven of those guys were in the top ten, and six of them were in the top four. Yeah. So, like, you know, if you're a college bat and you get taken at you know the very top of the draft, uh, chances are you're going to move quickly and and maybe get to the big leagues fast. But the, that that really stood out to me when uh, when you shared this list with us, Jim. All right, we are going to take a break. When we come back, we're going to talk about the first Pipeline Prospect Team of the Week of 2023 and the newest members of the Top 100 Prospects list. That's coming up next on the MLB Pipeline Podcast. Kaylee Cuoco for Priceline. Ready to go to your happy place for a happy price? Well, why didn't you say so? Just download the Priceline app right now and save up to 60% on hotels. So whether it's Cousin Kevin's Kazoo concert in Kansas City, go Kevin! Or Becky's Bachelorette Bash in Bermuda. You never have to miss a trip ever again. So download the Priceline app today. Your savings are waiting. Go to your happy place for a happy price. Go to your happy price. Priceline. Welcome back to the MLB Pipeline Podcast. Jason Ratliff, Jim Callis, Jonathan Mayo. Uh, none of us made this week's Pipeline Prospect Team of the Week, but these guys did. Catcher, Dominic Keegan of the Rays. First base, Mark Vientos of the Mets. Second base, uh, one of my favorite guys, Lloyd L. Chapelli of the White Sox. Uh, third base, Brett Beatty of the Mets. Shortstop, the aforementioned, discussed. Is that a word? Zach Neto. It is now. Uh, so Beatty and Neto both called up uh, on the on the heels of or in the midst of that hot week that landed them on the prospect team of the week. I wonder. I wonder what was the highlight of the week between those two things. Um, <laughs> Hudson wasn't Haskin, there like an on field ceremony? Like when they got to the big leagues, they were presented with their. They got their, the patch. They got the uh, well. I guess Beatty didn't get the debut patch, but yeah, they 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 gave him the uh, they gave Neto the, the debut patch. And the, they should have uh, a chain like patch. they used to have in the in the fall league, like the the P-Tow chain, like that he gets to just wear a big <laughs> chain that says P-Tow, like for the next week until yeah, another we, guy wins the one. We got to get on that. Uh, Hudson Haskin of the Orioles, uh, one of the outfielders on the team, along with Andy Pies of the Dodgers and uh, uh, Dominic Canzone of the D-backs, and then the pitchers, right-handed pitcher Andrew Abbott, lefty Tanner Bybee, and reliever Stephen Cruz. So couple guys called up a uh, couple of Mets and there was there was nearly a third Met I mean I don't know how much consideration you guys gave to I mean Neto was so good but Ronnie Mauricio has just been fantastic and three guys from from Syracuse I would venture to say we've never had three players from one team 
uh, on a prospect team of the week. That nearly happened. Uh, but let's uh, want to have each of you uh, highlight one of the players here. And uh, Jim, why don't you go first? Because I'm itching to hear about uh, Mr. Chappelle. Yeah, he's he's like perhaps the most intriguing prospect on the White Sox top 30 list because he's he's interesting, but you, we, we don't know quite what to make of him yet. So he's I think there's eight Cubans on my White Sox top 30. He was MVP at the 15 and under World Cup back in 2016. He was rookie of the year in, in their league in the Cuban League at age 17, uh, defected uh, in October uh, 2021. And then signed last June with the White Sox. And a lot of times, for tax purposes, when the Cubans sign, they go debut in the DSL, even though they're older. And and he signed for five hundred thousand dollars. He was, I guess, that would made him twenty when he got to the DSL last year, and he tore it up. He finished third in slugging, third in ops, and. You know, he's he's kind of built like a slightly bigger Jose Altuve. He's listed at 5'8", and he's he's got some strength to him, but he's it's a good swing, it's a good approach, it's a lot of hard contact. You can't really too much read too much into what he did in the DSL against younger competition, but it's a pretty intriguing bat. And he was a corner outfielder in Cuba that the White Sox are turning into a second baseman. He's he's got a chance to be a second baseman, and they are very interested. Like they wanted to know exactly what they have. Like he intrigued them. They had the same comment. Like, like, you know, we like the bat really good year in the DSL, but we want to see him against age appropriate competition to see what we might really have in him. So they jumped him all the way to high a at age 21. And, you know, he's off to a small sample size, of course, but nine for 18 with two homers in his first five games. And, you know, I don't think he's going to hit 500 all season, but if he if his bat is as real as they think it could be and he performs in high A, you know, I think I've got him at number 27 on the White Sox top 30 right now. He's going to fly up that list, uh, you know, when we do the midseason update. So he's he's kind of a I think everybody in the White Sox organization is very intrigued by Lodell Chappelle. And that's why they've put him in high A. Like, let's find out what we have. And so far, it looks like they might have something pretty interesting there. All right. And I, I think uh, I screwed up the the arms of our pitcher, of our pitchers. Um, and Jonathan, why don't you set me straight and uh, discuss one of those pitchers? <laughs> yeah, Andrew Abbott is left-handed. Uh, and Tanner Bybee is right-handed. So, you know, fans shouldn't be like, wait, they're switch pitching. Um, now, I wanted to talk about Andrew Abbott. Uh who happened to be, I think, the first interview I did in spring training this year. Um, and it was great to talk about pitching with him. You know, this guy who came out of the University of Virginia, spent most of his career there pitching very well out of the bullpen, but kind of raised his profile in, in 2021 uh, by moving into the rotation and pitching very well there. Uh, you know, scouts in the area had long thought that he had the stuff to start um, the question was, you know, the strike throwing, and he improved in that, and that helped him land in the second uh, second round in 21. And then in his first full season, he was absolutely dominant in high A and then moved to double A and struggled a little bit uh, with his command, trying to do a little bit too much. So the uh, the Reds sent him back to to double A, and, you know, this is a guy who was a, you know, a senior, so, you know, he's 24 uh, well, I'm sorry, he's 23, but he'll turn 24 in June. Um, 
and he came out of the gate this year just he's been ridiculous uh, it's just two starts but he he's given up just two hits and one walk while striking out 25 in 10 and two-thirds innings uh, so that's a 21.1 strikeout per nine rate and a 0.8 walk per nine rate i don't think that's sustainable either um but uh, you know what's been really interesting is how he has sort of changed uh, his pitch design. Uh, you know, he's always had a deceptive fastball. He used to really focus on a curve, but he started folding in a harder and tighter slider, and that's become more of a, a go-to pitch along with a really good changeup. And over his first two starts overall, a 56% miss rate uh, on his pitches, um, including that fastball, has been well, you know, well over 50% miss rate uh, because, uh, you know, you know, because of that deception, and he's got really good cutting action on the fastball. And so, to to tease very slightly uh, our one for each team feature impact call up he, uh, coming later this week. He is the guy that I chose for for the Reds. They they've had some difficulty, especially in the back end of their rotation, and I I think that he is the kind of guy who could handle the jump to the big leagues from from Double A uh, if need be, if they decide they need some help from down on the farm. I have a question for you, Jonathan, about Andrew Abbott. Top one hundred prospect? Question mark. Yeah, I, I would put him on that list. You know, and the, I, I want to say, I think we've considered him. He's been close a couple times. He got off to a really good start last year, but I, I'm with you. Like he, He's one of those, the sum is greater than the individual parts, and he's always been able to pitch, and he's left-handed. He, he's pretty interesting, too. Yeah, he'd have to, uh, he'd have to jump some guys on that uh, Reds list, wouldn't he? I'm not afraid <laughs> of that. Ter- terrible Reds list. Who, who did that list? Oh, stop it. <laughs> All right. So, yeah, the first prospect team of the week is on MLB.com slash pipeline. Check that out. Uh, Brett Beatty making his fifth appearance, and you would think probably his last, um, on a prospect team of the week. Do you, do you guys know who who's made the most appearances on a prospect team of the week ever? I want to say, and I did not look this up, but like I remember writing it at one point. I feel like Kyle Tucker maybe? That is correct. 11 times. Wow. People are doing very well in the quizzes. <laughs> Again, I'm glad useless knowledge I've retained and I can't remember <laughs> things from like last week, but I can remember Kyle Tucker who has 11, 11 prospect yep. teams. Three more, three more than uh, anyone else. All right. Uh, let's talk about the newest additions to the top 100 prospects list. Uh, as I said last week, when uh, you guys covered this, there were, Players being added as you were talking, so you didn't get to talk about Colt Keith or Connor Norby. And then we've had three more players added to the top 100 prospects list as other players graduate, exceed their rookie eligibility. Uh, Ethan Salas, who I'm going to go out on a limb without sorting the list by age and say that he is now the youngest player on the top 100 prospects list. Cole Young, so the youngest, and then Cole Young. And and then Junior, Junior Caminero. A little, are you guys just adding guys based on how young they sound? 
Is that yes? The, is that the Which process? Kim Arrow is nineteen, so he's not especially. I know, but his, his name, name is Junior. Junior. Yeah, yeah we, I know. I know. Picked... I know where you're going. We do. You, can you guys, without looking, Ethan Salas is the youngest. Identify the two eighteen-year-olds on the top one hundred. With there's several nineteen-year-olds without looking. Without looking, you can't sort or cheat. Eighteen-year-olds. Shoot. I don't think I have it. They no. hail from the same state. They both took batting practice at the combine last year. Tamar Johnson. Yep. Think reclassification. No, think reclassification. Reclassification. Oh, uh, Collier. Oh, Cam Collier. Cam Collier. Who oh, would... Thank you for the hint. Cam Collier. <laughs> six... Yeah, Cam Collier, sixty-three on the top one hundred right now, when he should be a high school senior if he had just let things proceed normally. That's pretty amazing. Yeah. Okay. Let's let's go. Let's just go in order, I guess. Uh, so now. Number 96 on the list is Colt Keith, uh, 21 years old. So uh, one, one of the elder statesmen of the five most <laughs> recently added top 100 prospects uh, at double A with a 2024 ETA. Uh, we saw him in the fall league and he was spending time there uh, after missing time due to an injury. And uh, I guess he has impressed then and since yeah he's a guy who um i had in, in the draft he was an arizona kid who moved to mississippi um i actually was i didn't think he was gonna be signable uh i thought he was like a top two or three round guy or he was gonna be a tough sign and the the tigers actually got him on a pretty good deal that, that you know, wasn't like a way over slot deal in the fifth round of the of the covid draft and he's performed throughout his his pro career. It's just he had the shoulder injury last year. He dove back into a bag and got hurt. Played really well at Salt River. I, I think he's a guy who can hit for some average, hit for some power. He's in double A. He, he is an elder statesman, Jason, but he's in double A at age 21, so we'll cut him some slack. He's uh, pretty young for the double A level. Um, you know, I think the position is, is a little bit of the question. I mean, he has gotten a lot more physical since uh, like you know, Jesse Bork did a story on him in the fall league last year where he's up to 245 and it's not like he just ate his way to 245, but he's big and physical. You know, he's played some third, he's played some second. I, I don't really think he's a second baseman. I, I think third base is the jury's out on that one, but I think there's definitely a big league bat, even if it winds up being a, a you know, more of a first base or, you know, maybe, you know, they have Torkelson there, you know, maybe an outfield, but like he's the, the bat's very impressive and, and he really has hit just about everywhere he's gone in pro ball. He just hasn't played a whole lot yet. All right. Uh, moving down the list, Connor Norby, 22-year-old second base slash outfielder of the Orioles on a loaded AAA Norfolk roster. He, he was the guy I think we probably, when we first put out the top 100 greedy Orioles fans, were like, well, what about Connor Norby? And, uh, and he's got an interesting combination uh, of ability to to hit with with power, uh, he, he's obviously shown that he crushes fastballs. Uh, he's made some good changes to his approach uh, that's helped him tap into into that power and and send more balls over the fence. Uh, I think you know he hit 29 homers last year. I think he's going to continue to hit to hit homers this year. Is you know off to a a solid start in, in AAA. I think. Uh, the positional flexibility could help him get to the big leagues as well. And, uh, you know, for 
I think when we launched the list, the Orioles had eight top 100 guys, which was the most, and then Gunnar Henderson quickly graduated off. So Connor Norby once again gives them a Major League Baseball leading eight top 100 guys, and he's a solid defender at that second end, and he can handle the corner outfield spot capably as well. I wanted to throw in real quick, Jonathan, it's funny how the draft works out because that was the pick the Orioles were going to pay Judd Fabian $3 million with in 2021, and he went the pick before to the Red Sox, and so they wound up taking Connor Norby, who they wouldn't have gotten otherwise, and then they got Judd Fabian in last year's draft anyway. So kind of crazy how that worked out for Baltimore. All right, guys. I think in addition to adding players just based on the, the youngness of their uh, the way their name sounds, you're, you're also adding them in order, alternating between the two of you uh, as to which team they belong to. Well, well some of these are Sam's, actually. The, these, these are all actually oh, Sam's guys. Jim is pinch hitting for Sam's. So let's I, see. Ever since I brought up that we should probably do voiceovers when we added guys to top 100 list, we've stopped adding my guys to the list. So, because I'm lazy and don't want to do any extra work. <laughs> so, so Cold Keith, Ethan Salas, and Junior Caminero are all Sam's lists. Uh, yeah, yep. So non, non John. I'm pinch hitting for Sam here. Uh, now, pinch hitting for yeah. Sam Dykstra, Jim Callis. Callis no, betting, Callis, Callis, betting, Callis. betting. All right. Uh, Callis, <laughs> tell us about Salas. There we go. Um, <laughs> it's spelled differently. Um, but uh, yeah, no, like Ethan Salas, who was a great podcast guest, um, I guess, what, about three months ago when he was the top prospect in this year's international class and he signed for $5.6 million. And we knew he was a tremendous player. We were all like blown away by how comfortable he was as a 16 year old doing an interview with such luminaries as ourselves. But um, I mean, guys just rave about this guy. You know, Offensive catcher, left-handed bat, hit for average, developing power, really athletic for a catcher, plus arm, plus defense. He worked with um, big leaguers like you, Darvish, like in in Arizona, and didn't look out of place. Uh, you know, it's always you know, sixteen years old. You're obviously doing a lot of projection. His ceiling is huge. He's yet to make his official pro debut in a in a game you know, where they keep score. But, man, it, it's so easy to dream on this guy. And the makeup's there to go with the tools. Uh, we'll be very interested to see how quickly he rises up this list while acknowledging that, yeah, I mean, there, there's more risk with an international guy. But, you know, Jonathan, just when, when his name comes up, when we talk to international guys, which we don't do as much as, say, Jesse Sanchez does, they talk about him differently than they talk about most international guys. Yeah, it's like a, that hushed tone slash giddy. Uh, even, you know, when I was in Padres camp, I think they were trying, and he hadn't done anything yet, really. You know, they were just trying to not get ahead of themselves. Um, just in how he was showing up and catching bullpens and, and taking BP, which is all he had done when, when, when I was there. So, yeah, I think... Uh, it's going to be very interesting, and uh, this was probably the top 100 edition that had the most buzz uh, in the Twitter sphere when he was added. Uh, people uh, genuinely interested to see what he's going to end up doing. I feel like they were kind of angry we didn't have him on the list to begin with. Yeah, and then there were the people who were like, oh, he's so young. He hasn't even played yet. How could he put him on? Um, 
to, to which I, I don't know if it was Sam uh, Dykstra who had responded, you know, internally or, but my thought also is right. And then they were going to be upset that he's not, you know, in the top 50 when he goes out and absolutely rakes in the complex league. Stands to reason that uh, with him being the youngest player on the list, that he also has the uh, ETA that is farthest away. He has a 2028 ETA. Kind of hard to believe that's even I'll a, take the under. a thing. Yeah, I was going to say, um, do, do, do we maybe feel a little, a little different about that uh, since that was initially put out there? I think we got to let him play. Like, like, yeah, I, like I think fair. we kind of have a he default a position on international guys, and he is a catcher. And, like, here's the thing. In 2028, 20, he's going to be 21 on opening day. So, like, I don't feel that bad. Like, yes, I think if he's as good as we think he is, he'll probably get there a year or two earlier. But I, I'm comfortable putting him in the big leagues at age 21, 22, and That's fair. let him play a game before we go nuts. You, fair. you are Mr. Adjust the ETA, Jason. Adjust the ETA. Question mark. <laughs> we need T-shirts or hats with that on it, but, but we, will, we will not adjust his ETA until he plays in a game. Damn it. Right. When he goes right. four for five in his debut, then, then we'll we adjust adju- the ETA. All right. I'm marking it down. Uh, number 99 on the list is now Cole Young. Jonathan, not going to have to twist your arm to talk about him. No, I just uh, I did just talked about him in my beat report uh, as a, a guy from last year's draft class off to a very good start. He was the Mariners' first round pick. He's a Pittsburgh kid, uh, so I'm always happy to to you know, represent the four one two. But you know he he came into the draft as one of the better pure high school hitters. Obviously not in Tamar Johnson's territory but uh, not that far behind uh you know he's got a a plus hit tool and had a strong debut last summer and has carried it over uh into single a so far he's at 382 um he slugged 618 uh you know this is a guy who is going to to really really hit uh i think he's drawn more walks than he's struck out so far he does not strike out a lot there's going to be some some more power to come. Uh, he hasn't uh, he hasn't hit any balls over the fence yet, but he's got a bunch of doubles and a triple. He runs well. He can play shortstop. Uh, he's a really solid player, and I think that he is going to be the kind of guy who will earn a promotion. You know, even though he's still just a teenager as a as a high school guy, uh, up a level uh, at some point this year. Uh, I could see him sort of jumping on the on that slightly faster developmental track for a high schooler by by being in high A by midseason. I thought that was kind of a steal for the Mariners last year too, Jonathan. Just a guy with that hitting ability, but also other tools to go with it and plays a premium position. He's definitely playing up the middle somewhere. You know, like they, the Mariners, you do the organization, have made a lot of hay drafting college guys, particularly pitchers. I think that was just a case where it's like we can't ignore Cole Young. Like if you want to, if you want to put drop Cole Young in our laps at what was it, pick twenty one? Yep, like yep. we have to take him. Like I, I thought that was a great pick. Do you guys remember remember much about where you had him in your mocks? Was he? Did you have him going earlier? We might have had him going right around no, there, somewhere in that neck of the woods. And uh, and to your point, Jim, yeah, they uh, you know they they took those college pitchers sort of in three consecutive years, but now. Back to back, they took Harry Ford and and now Cole Young, and both of those guys are in, are in the top 100. So uh, the Mariners are just doing a a nice job of of scouting and 
and then developing those young players. Yeah, and they're doing what you should do. You should draft talent. You shouldn't draft demographics. Like, I like I wonder, is, is Cole Young going to become revered? Like, does he have some? Do we, we do we have you check, Jonathan? Does he have any like World Baseball Classic eligibility for another country? <laughs> so he'll be I'll, like a legend, like Harry Ford is in Great Britain. These I days? will. Uh, I will. I will do some digging and get back to you on that. Check his birth certificate. You don't have his birth certificate handy when you're doing the. Writing up his report, yeah, they hand them. You know, all the Pittsburgh guys. We get, I get all their birth certificates, sir. Sure. And Jim gets birth certificates on all all his guys. Yeah, I mean, come on. What do you I mean? Don't we? Doesn't everybody and, do that? And that's why Jim Callis is Jim Callis. All right, number one hundred on the list, Junior Caminero. Uh, he is. <laughs> Yeah. You have to take these. Uh, you have to take these heights, heights and weights uh, with a grain of salt. Yeah, because, I'll take the over. I'm yeah. taking the over on this one. He's he's listed as six one one fifty seven uh, on the uh, top one hundred <laughs> list, which is the second second lightest player on the list. Uh, Sedan Rafaela is listed as five nine one fifty two, but uh, the, that's these, more realistic. These are dependent on on clubs updating uh, the data, um, you know, in, that goes into our database. So, you're taking the over on 157, Jim. Yeah, I'm. I'm going to predict that that was what he weighed when the Indian or, yeah, they were still the Indians. So I can't get. Oh, uh, you got away with it. No, yeah, they were the Indians when the Indians signed him in 2019. I bet he weighed 157, but I, I'll take the over on 157. But yeah, it's. He's kind of an example of what the Rays, like the Rays do a lot of things well, obviously, but you know, the Rays continually come up with prospects and they always, it seems like every year the Rays have a 40 man crunch and they have more guys than they can protect on the 40 man. And so they'll often make trades for prospects who don't need to be protected. And they did that. They got Curtis Mead from the Phillies right. a couple of years ago. Curtis Mead's a top 100 prospect, one of the best hitters in the minors. And then they did it with junior Caminero Ah, you know what? I think I should get fined because it was November 21. I'm not sure if they were officially uh, then or not. So maybe I do get fined. Give, uh, how about a half fine? Okay. Yeah. Well, I don't know. I'm going to have to do the research. I don't want to pay 12500 if I don't have to. But Fair. Um, but anyway, like it, it, like it's another one of these things that, that's worked out great. I mean, he hits for average. He hits for power. He's you know still just 19. He won't be 20 until you know right after July. Um Sitting 440 so far this year, if you like small sample sizes. But I mean, he's a career 315 hitter. He's hit for average. He hits for power. He makes hard contact. He draws a healthy amount of walks. I mean, like with any prospect, you can, you know, there's kind of a divergent path he could go defensively. He's probably, he's played some second. He fits better at third. He's probably average there. I, I think he can stick at third. I don't think he's going to win gold gloves. And, you know, ultimately you may want a better defender there, but I think he can play third. And I mean, they've got a, you know, 19 year old who's, you know, already raking in the first week in high A and, uh, you know, very interesting guy. And, I, you know, I wonder, I mean, we kind of joked with him a little bit, like when we had Kevin Eibach, their, their, their pro scouting director on to talk about Randy Rosarena in 2020. Like if I'm trading with the Rays and they start asking me for guys, like I, I'm getting scared. Like I yeah, hang like, up the phone. I, I I'd rather give the Rays a list. If the like if the Rays are asking for guys specifically, no, he's untouchable. You can't have him. <laughs> Here's a list of guys. You pick one, but don't ask me for anybody because 
then I'm going to be like wondering, like, what do they know about Junior Caminero and Curtis Mead that we don't? All right. Uh, that wraps up the new members of the Top 100 Prospects list. We have to take a break. And when we come back, we are going to preview our upcoming Top 150 Draft Prospects list and answer a question from the mailbag. That's coming up next on the MLB Pipeline Podcast. Welcome back to the MLB Pipeline Podcast. Jim Callis, Jonathan Mayo, I'm Jason Ratliff. Uh, We have our top 100 draft prospects list that we put out in December. Um, And now that uh, there's been a season underway and there's been play and scouts out watching these guys, there are, it's time to make some changes and expand the list. We'll expand the list to 150 next week. There will be changes uh, I don't know. This, we're just letting it ride. We're just letting it ride. <laughs> there will, you know what? I can guarantee you this: there will be fifty more names on the list. There will be fifty more names on the list. Uh, I know you guys at this point don't know exactly what the changes are going to be, um, as as to ex- exact spots where guys are going to land. Um, but let's talk about let, let's talk about the class in general a little bit and some changes that we might see at the top or just what 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 you think the top is shaping up to look like jonathan i feel like we have we haven't even tried to combine our list or or put anything in order yet but like we've both made a million calls i kind of feel like there are six guys at the top of the draft right now like like my my, my top six in some order you got mm-hmm. the two lsu guys former podcast guest paul Skeens. Uh, we tried to line up Dylan Cruz. We haven't gotten Dylan Cruz on the podcast yet. Um, two guys from LSU. You got Wyatt Langford of Florida, yep. fellow SEC outfielder with Dylan Cruz. You got Chase Dolander, the right-hander from Tennessee, who I think has been passed by Skeens, but is still clearly the number two pitcher. Agreed. And, and then the two high school outfielders, Walker Jenkins from North Carolina and Max Clark from Indiana. And probably in that order at this I wasn't point, even if trying- I were to guess. I wasn't even trying to do it in order. No, no, no. I meant the two high school guys. Oh, oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. I was like, wow. I was just like rattling off. No, 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 no. Yeah, I. But yeah, and I do think Jenkins has passed Clark. I I agree with that. But I is there anybody else you would put in that tier? And 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 Jason, I know you. I I don't know if it's because he was such a good podcast guest. I know you were the the staunchest advocate that Paul Skeen should be number one. I still am on the fence. I, I. It's weird. I've gotten people saying Paul Skeen's. Maybe better than Steven Strasburg, like which is like whoa, like Steven Strasburg's the best draft pitching prospect of all time. But then I also have people say those guys are neck and neck, and when they're neck and neck, you have to take the hitter. The and Dylan Cruz is hitting five hundred in the SEC, so I I honestly don't know which way we're gonna go at one. Um, but I think it's those two guys, and then the other four. Is there anybody else, Jonathan, you would put in the top six? I don't. I don't think so. No, I think. I think those are the top six. And you know, it's always one of those things where, when a guy who's not in our area gets talked up, um, and maybe it was because I was at NHSI in North Carolina, but people were just going nuts about Walker Jenkins, um, and not only in terms of how much he's hit, but he's streamlined his body. He's been playing center field. 
plus run times. And so he probably nudges past Max Clark with the understanding that Max Clark lives in Indiana and is just sort of getting going now, uh, you know, to, to sort of be a, a little more fair to him. The guys in the cold weather states, you know, not going to be seen quite as much. But Walker Jenkins was there was a lot of buzz about Walker Jenkins at an HSI and he wasn't even there. Uh, so I think those are the six guys. If I were going to throw one other guy out there just because he's doing what everyone, you know, we thought he would do and it would be Jacob Wilson. And, and I don't, I don't think he belongs in the top six, but the guy has 14 walks and five strikeouts now. He's slipping, Jonathan. He had only had seven strikeouts. Well, last year, I remember so. we, t- we talked about him a little while ago. I think he struck out three times early and has been only struck out twice. So he's now got a 469, 515, 694 line in 29 games at Grand Canyon while playing a very good shortstop. And so, I'm with you 100% on that, Jonathan. Yeah. Like, I don't think he's in that top six, but if I were picking seventh, I would take Jacob Wilson. Like I, I'm with you. Like, and I know I don't want to get oh, too too crazy because of the two games I saw at the beginning of the season when I was doing the Desert Invitational. He looked awesome there. Plus, you know the makeups there, the baseball IQ. You know, growing up as Jack Wilson's son, he he that guy's going to assimilate into pro ball so easily. I, I, I he's not even in my area, <laughs> and I love that guy as a prospect, Jonathan. So like, yep. I, I yeah, I can almost say like the one thing. I feel like I'm sure of right now because we could debate the LSU guys one, two. I think we can debate Langford, Walker Jenkins, three, four. We, we could debate that. The one definite I feel like I can say right now is Jacob Wilson will be number seven on our top 150. <laughs> and I, I'm I serious. I, I yeah, like, yeah. like the guy that much and I'm, I'm with you. I can't quite put him right in that top group, but he's, I take him over everybody else. Like and I love that it, guy. And it's the kind of thing where, you know, if, you're not sure of whether you want to take a high school guy. Could Jacob Wilson get taken in the top six? Absolutely. Oh yeah. 100%. Yeah. I, I could see that. And then like, like, so I'm going to throw out a tricky question for you now. So he's clearly number seven. Like we'll, we'll, we'll put that one in ink. No, nah, I seven. refuse to answer who's number eight. Yeah. I was going to say like, I don't, I will not. I'm well, I mean, I'm torn. Like, I don't know. Like that one, I, I don't think there's a clear number eight at all. Like there's a group of guys who could go like eight to 15, but. Well, this kind of uh, hints at the question that, that I had is that you guys have laid out seven. um, And the one guy who's currently in our top five that was not mentioned is Jacob Gonzalez. Jacob Gonzalez. And I, so I was wondering before you even asked about who would be eight, is he slipping? Uh, I know, obviously, these guys are performing, but I mean, he he, yeah. he seems to be performing as well. But yeah, I mean, hitting 350 with a 1100 ops in the SEC with more walks and strikeouts, he is performing. It's yeah. he's tough because he's performed. And I look, look I mean, th- there's hitting ability there. There's you know, some power there. He controls the strike zone. He's playing shortstop. He's playing the best conference in the country and he's playing well. Part of a national championship team last year. He's a big, big part of that national championship. But 
like it's he's a hard guy to figure out exactly what he is. He's he's at probably at best a 40 runner. You know, and that's probably like 40 maybe 45 once he gets going. Like he has good instincts, but I don't know that he's really a shortstop at the big league level. I feel like and, you don't see a 40 run tool at shortstop too often. No, like and he look, I mean he gets rid of the ball quickly. Um he covers some ground, but like like the you, the performance, it's not like he's toolless because he's not, but people have a hard time. Like what exactly is he? But at the same, like he'll go in the, in the top 10 or 15 picks, but like, it, it's weird for a guy who's performed like he has at that level. People aren't quite sure exactly what to make of him. Without going back through, a bunch of lists, I would also guess that it's rare to have a guy in the top five that doesn't have a tool above 55, which I think is kind of what you were just. Yeah. I mean, hmm. I will say, you know, like we, he does, we gave him 55 hit 55 power. And if you're playing on the dirt somewhere, that's not first base, that's a pretty good player. So, but yeah, it's, it it's weird. Like I, everybody really respects what he's done, but they aren't quite sure what to make of him. And yeah, I, I, yeah, well, as you could tell, I'm I'm not even acting here. I I am baffled. I, I don't I don't know where I don't know exactly where to put him. Mean, he'll be in our top ten or fifteen. Um, I, I just don't know exactly where because like the other guys we had up high, Enrique Bradfield has been down a little bit. Hurston Waldrip, you know, the stuff's still over the strikes. Brain Taylor is hitting more power than average, and he doesn't have loud loud tools. Aiden Miller got hurt. Blake Mitchell's high school catcher. It's just the ad uncertainty starts after the first six or seven guys. All right. Well, we will find out where Jacob Gonzalez and everyone else lands on the new top 150 draft prospects list next week. Uh, all right. Let's wrap up by answering a question, kind of a question and a half, a, a question and a comment <laughs> from the mailbag, uh, but both about the same player, Dylan at Dylan15150 says MLB comp for Evan Carter. And then Vino Creator says, definitely curious about Evan Carter. That has to be asked in the form of a question, though. Am I definitely curious? Yes, I am. I, yes, yes, I am definitely curious, Jonathan. <laughs> Are you definitely curious about it? Yeah, let me, you know, I'm going to let you sort of uh, run the show on this one because he is, he is your guy. Um, he's fascinating to me. Uh, because as we've sort of talked, I think we've talked about before, it's rare when Jim Callis gets stumped early in a, in a draft broadcast. But when when the Rangers took Evan Carter in the second round in 2020, uh, there was a definite uh, scramble ruffling through his 750 pages of, of notes. I had 15 or so yeah. Tennessee high school guys yeah. and not him. And, and, and not him. Have I so, confessed to you, Jonathan? I don't know if I've ever told you this story, but when they call, when when they panic, the producer got on, and because the only time they tell us like who's getting picked is when they don't prepare for him and they prepare for three hundred guys. Yeah, have I confessed to you that my first thought? I didn't say it out loud. I immediately thought, "Got to be a Mayo guy." And uh, <laughs> I, have I told you that before? Have I? I don't know, but we <laughs> anyway, publicly I, I, and recorded. Yes, forever. yeah, I, that you can put that on the record now. <clears throat> I, I said to myself, I, I in my head, I said Mayo guy. And then I asked Mark Wiener, I was like, where's he from? And he said, Elizabeth, Tennessee. And I was like, what? 
Um, so anyway, yeah. you, you can continue. Yeah. No, so, yes. so, you know, it, 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 it always makes me feel a little bit better when you, there's, when we get to a point where you don't know a guy. I did not feel it, good. It, it happens to me much earlier usually than, than Jim, but, uh, but yeah, that was just a fascinating thing. And listen, it was the COVID year also. So that added a, a wrinkle to it and, you know, kudos to, to the Rangers for doing their work because not only, you know, is he a high schooler from Tennessee who was kind of unknown and and seemingly overdrafted, but now he's in in double A and absolutely raking, and he doesn't turn twenty one until close to the end of this season. Uh, so th- this guy is, you know, really interesting. There's a reason why he's you know very high up on our top one hundred now, and with a a huge up arrow next to his name. So. I don't have a, a comp for him, but Jim, I want you, you know, I'm sure you'll get to it because we talked about this a bit uh, before we got there, but not necessarily a comp in terms of how they play the game, but maybe a comp in terms of career trajectory. Yeah. So it, it, it's, and it, and he might be, I'm not saying he's the very best. He might be my favorite prospect on the top 100. I, it, cause wow. I got to interview him. 99 other training. players are very sad. Now. I know. Like everybody else is like, what? Like Zach Neto's like, what? We I, we saw, saw each other six times at the combine. What do you mean? <laughs> you like, like Evan Carter more than me. But anyway, um, with, with Evan Carter, so I interviewed him in spring training. And I had a, we, we used the interview on the podcast. As I mentioned, I, I love talking to him. We even talked about the fact, like, what's it like? Like you're a second round pick. And literally the reaction on the air is nobody knows who you are. And, and I think I told you guys, it was awesome because he's talking about, yeah, you know, it's the best day of your life and this and that. And then like 20 seconds later, it hit him and he, I won't say it was panic, but he's like, I got married in December. That was the best day of my life. That was the, <laughs> the draft was my second. It, I just chuckled because it made me, it just, it, it was so endearing the way he did it. But talking to him, I was so, you know, like he, he has to have the, the best eye at the plate in the minors. And guys noticed it from day one when he was 18, his first season, like a month into his pro career, I had guys were like, I guess nobody knew who this guy was at the draft, but this guy's really good. And his, his, he's so advanced at the plate. And, you know, this guy plays in Elizabeth in Tennessee. It's not like he was playing, you know, 6A ball in Texas, you know, or, and on the showcase circuit all over the place. And he just makes it sound so simple. Like I, I was asking him about it, like, how do you hone this? And he's like, basically his approach is if it's not a strike, I don't swing at it. And if it is a strike, I hit it hard. And it's like, okay, like everybody wants to do that. But I think his batting eye is just that good to the point where he was talking about how he works on his batting eye with his dad throws it like, and he doesn't have like a hitting guru. Like it's his, you know, dad and he played locally. His dad throws him BP. Um, and he was talking about how he works on his plate discipline while he's taking BP with his dad. And I'm like, wow, like your dad's like that good at BP. Like he's throwing you balls like six inches off the plate and you were taking him. And he laughed. He's like, no, my dad just can't throw strikes. So he doesn't swing. <laughs> like, like he's not like when he's in the cage, he takes it the same way though. If his dad doesn't put the ball over the plate, and he thought that was funny that I thought like his dad was like, you know, the Greg Maddox of throwing, right. throwing the ball like four inches off the plate to test him. He's like, no, he just can't throw strikes consistently. So he won't swing at it. But like, anyway, like, you know, and, 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 you know, so aside from the batting eye, I mean, it's a potential five tool center fielder, you know, he's six two one ninety. He's still getting stronger. Uh, you know, he can run, he can play center. 
I mean, it's ridiculous. And I, and I think I told you guys, like the Rangers call him FCC, like full count Carter. Um, and even in big league camp this year, I think he drew like eight walks and 19 plate appearances. And Ross Fenstermaker, their assistant GM said, yeah. And like he got rung up a couple called third strikes on full counts that Trackman showed were clearly balls. Like it, it's ridiculous how good his batting eye is. And as you mentioned, Jonathan, I mean, he's off to a great start. He's hitting 389 with, I think it's three home runs and nine games so far in double A and he's super young. So I don't have a great comp, but the conversation Jonathan was referring to was I I mentioned to Jonathan. So yesterday, Kennedy Landry, who's our Rangers B reporter, uh, sent me a message on Slack and said, is Evan Carter going to pull Michael Harris? And Michael Harris famously didn't start last year in the big leagues and came up and won the rookie of the year. And I told her, I said, I actually had a, a pipeline inbox question back in October that asked me, who is next year's Michael Harris? And my answer was Evan Carter, um, who was not like a big name. Like Michael Harris was a late bloomer as a draftee. He was a two-way guy who people were on at first as a pitcher. Um, hadn't played, you know, Harris was in high A, you know, barely. I don't even remember if Michael Harris had played in double A. If he had, it wasn't much before he came up. So I, I kind of... You know, and again, I'm not saying they're, they're the exact physical comp, but I mean, they're both athletic center fielders who can kind of do it all. So I, 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 you know, in terms of style of game, I don't mind it either, but so I don't, I don't know that that's the best pure comp, but like his career seems to be on that Michael Harris path. I, I could talk about Evan Carter for an hour and I will not cause we've almost gone an hour already. We could but, have had a two hour podcast and just, of just, just have me Jim. talk about two, Pete Cavillia, John yep. Olerud and Evan Carter I could go two hours, but yeah, I, I, I honestly think <laughs> Evan Carter is my favorite player on the top 100, and we will be, you know, making some alterations to the list in mid-May. I predict I will be, I don't know, pounding the table. I predict I will be advocating for Evan Carter in the top 15 prospects. Vehemently, some vehemence, at yes. least some vehemence. I agree with that assessment. All right, well, that's uh, that's shaping up to be quite a nice little pick for the the fiftieth pick uh, in that draft. He was the easily the highest player taken uh, that was not on our top two fifty draft prospects list. There were five players taken in the top one hundred overall that were not ranked in the top two fifty, um, but he was by far the the uh, Highest selection there. And the Rangers had a player development staffer who lives either in or near Elizabethton, which is why they kind of knew about him early, which was key because it was a pandemic year. And, got, you know, I think they played three games and he's in a remote part of Tennessee that guys don't get to very often and certainly didn't that year. So great scouting to have the faith to take him that high. And also like, Jonathan, you've written a book about this stuff. Um, it seems like with all the great scouting stories, there's also some good fortune involved as well, often. Thanks for the plug. When's that book coming out? Coming out in July. Smart, Wrong, and Lucky. You can pre-order it now. Thanks, Jim. Is that really what it's called? Is it really yes. called Smart? It even has Lucky in the title. There you go. I, yes. I didn't even know the title of your book, so there you go. Great title. Hey, I'm giving you an 80 for the title right there, John. I can't take full credit for that, but it was a good collaboration. <laughs> I, I would. That would be that title alone even if I wasn't fascinated by scouting, if I was in a Barnes and Noble or my local small independent bookstore, 
and I saw that title, I'd be like, oh, what's this? I, I would have to pick that book up and examine it. That's an 80 title. Whoever came up with that, that's a great title. So Appreciate it. I'm even more excited about the book now. Clickbait of book titles. <laughs> there you go. All right. Thanks to uh, Vino Bianco, Vino Creator, and Dylan15150 for those Evan Carter questions. Really got Jim going there. That's going to be a wrap for this week's MLB Pipeline podcast. Don't forget to subscribe on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, or wherever you get your podcasts so you don't miss an episode. If you're enjoying the show or have any suggestions, leave us a rating and a review. Thanks for listening, everybody. See you next week.